Hello, my name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and I am the host of Redboard Rewind. Obviously, this past weekend at the Breeders' Cup, we had a breakdown. I was kind of raw. I was super hurt. This is kind of a shout-out to everybody who in this business I know cares about these animals. For some people, this sport is about making money. For some, it's just about going to the races and watching it. For me, the worst thing that could have happened this weekend was a breakdown. I felt like I was, I was talking to my friends. I was sitting on pins and needles every single race. I wasn't even able to enjoy the Breeders' Cup this weekend because I was so worried about what would happen. And we were so close to getting out unscathed. Obviously, one of my favorite horses this year. I've talked about it on numerous podcasts, no, numerous stuff on Twitter or with friends. Mongolian Groom, to me, was an overachiever. He was absolutely one of the best horses on the West Coast this year. And for me, it just seems that for all these people who are now saying that racing needs to be canceled in California, we are trying so hard to make this sport a 0% fatality rate sport. But injuries happen in every sport, basketball, hockey. People end up getting hurt even in sports that you don't think bad things can happen. Owen Hart dying in wrestling. I really think that this is the time that we need to come together. All the young people in this sport, a lot of these people who have had this sport around for 40, 50, 60 years, they've had it for so long. For me, I've only been in this sport for 10 years. I want to be in it for the next 50. So this is kind of a shout out to all my guys from the Daily Gallup, young people who we've had on this show with Pete and JK. We really have to start this fight now. The fight is on all fronts, and we really need to make sure that we can show people exactly what horse racing is all about, and that it's not just about a bunch of people screaming and running around, waving money in people's faces. We care about these animals, and with me saying that, let's get on to this episode of Red Board Rewind. And now I'd like to introduce my special guest, Marshall Sterling. Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, Spencer. Thank you so much for having me on. Been really happy with uh, you joining the head-to-head over at the Daily Gallup. You know, me and you were in the championship match this weekend, so super excited. Excited to see if one of us can take down our new champion, uh, Nikki. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a blast. So you know, I've never really got into tournaments. I've always kind of wanted to, and so being able to have this uh, this free way of being able to still have opinions and still, you know, be involved in all the races. And not have to put forth any dollars. And, uh, and you know, the other thing, too, is that the group of guys and, and both girls, both girls, <laughs> um, are a really good group. You know, it's it's been a lot of fun. And, and, and uh, you know, who the new champ's going to be here, Spencer? It's going to be me or you. Probably going to end up in a dogfight <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So just to start off with some easy questions so people can get to know you, how did you uh, get into horse racing? So I got into horse racing because my best friend, Brett, his family used to own horses at Canterbury and I had never been to a horse race or, or even thought about it. I had, I had watched, you know, when the Kentucky Derby was on prime time, I would watch that every once in a while. So I, I liked watching it, but I never really got involved. And, and once I started going to track with my friend, um, getting kind of the special treatment behind the scenes sort of stuff, you know, being able to be in the paddock. And even being in a couple winners' photos um, at, at the track really, really brought me into the game, and I really got involved um, based on that experience. 
the first time you ever went to a track for me, it was just like a completely different experience. I had watched on TV. I had been to off track betting parlors. There's just a whole different atmosphere when you're actually at the track with other live betters. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's just such a different experience to be involved and be immersed in, in. Um, and regardless of what Horace wins, you know, in the end, you're still cheering, you're still with, you know, a, gr- a big group of fans and, you know, in the end, everyone is there for the same reason. And it's always a fun experience to be there. Now, I know that on Twitter, everyone knows you for your excellent uh, weather escapades. Has your weather reading ever uh, brought you into a big score? I've never had a big score based on any of my forecasts. You know, forecasting the weather is not necessarily about a a short-term gain. It's more about being able to eliminate some of the work you have to do at the beginning or in the middle of the week. Uh, so that way you're able to kind of focus your attention towards uh, towards different races or different horses to see if there's any sort of value there. So uh, unfortunately, uh, no big score is based on that, but uh, but it certainly won't stop me from trying, that's for sure. I can't tell you how many times early in my you know writing career I would be like, okay, I'm going to do Santa Anita from the other side of the country, and then it's like the one or two days it rained would have ended up being my day, and I'm like, well, these are all fast and firm. Let me now spend the next 45 minutes to an hour that I have to do a whole nine race card with possible scratches. It's, it's been, it was so great for Saratoga with me with the bet squad. I could just drive up, even though I live only an hour and a half away and I would know, is it going to rain in the middle of the day? Is it going to be, you know, are we going to be off the turf some days? It was really, really good for my perspective to help me with my crew, kind of let them know what's going on with the weather. I love being able to, give the information out there to the betters that honestly the information should already be out there. But, you know, when it comes to weather, it's, it's crazy the amount of work that you have to put in, not only into the forecast, but then being able to translate that into horses. And if you, if you all of a sudden are, are uh, uh, thrown into the wolves with this, Oh, it's all the races are off. And now you have, you know, a half hour to be able to, to skim a card and try to find value. You know, it's, it's never, never a recipe for success to have to do that. It's definitely hard for me. I know a lot of times if I see weather in the forecast, I pretty much try to stay away from handicapping turf races. And then I know enough about off-track dirt breeding that I can kind of, you know, Munnings is a very good off-track sire, and I can really kind of, you know, stumble my way through those races. But a lot of the times if I see there's weather and I don't know if they're going off the turf or only specific races off the turf, I try to wait then until the scratches come out because I don't know how people can be like, it's eight horses on a turf course, and they're like, okay, well, these four will for sure scratch, and these rest will run. I'm like, how do you even possibly know what horses are going to scratch off these turf races? Well, and the other hard part, too, is due to the inconsistencies from each track, you know, it's really hard to gauge even what races are going to be off the turf or which ones are going to be on. You know, I I have uh, several people who ask a week in advance, you know, oh, what do you, do you think this this race is going to be off? And it's like, well, I can I can <laughs> guess, yeah. But you know, if if tracks are if tracks were a little more consistent, it'd be you know a little bit easier to be able to do that. But when you have you know a track like Keeneland, which can handle water very well, especially their turf course, you know, versus you know other tracks around the country, it's 
it, it's really hard to have a consistent, hey, if they get three quarters of an inch of rain within 24 hours prior to the races, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come off. You know, there, it, there's so many different variables that go into that, that that make it impossible to be able to even predict, you know, 24 hours or even 36 hours uh, before whether they're going to take races off or not. Now, I know one track last weekend that was sunny and clear and no rain in the in the atmosphere. That was the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. We had talked uh, last night about three races to go over from Saturday's card. What do you say we plow right into those three races? Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. So the first race was race six on Saturday at Santa Anita. It was the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, one mile on the main track. The morning line favorite was Omaha Beach at eight to five. The second choice was Improbable at three to one. What was your opinion going into this race? I really liked Omaha Beach going in. You know, he's been increasing every buyer figure, every race that he's been in. Um, and his his overall top of 103, which was uh, in the previous race, was really formidable compared to uh, some of the horses in the race. The problem was, for me, with Omaha Beach, was the 8-5 to five, uh, was, was short. And then, you know, going into the race, you kind of had this feeling that he would almost be shorter. And, and that really, really turned me off from Omaha Beach. I know one of the horses that you were really interested in was Mr. Money. He was 6-1 to one on the morning line. What were your overall perception of him going into the race? Yeah, I, I really liked Mr. Money going into it, you know, from a value standpoint, you know, with a morning line of 6-1, to one, which was tantalizing. I really, I really liked that idea. Um, you know, the, the overall thought – from uh, from a lot of people that I heard was that oh you know he's beat up on on lesser horses and he he won all these these great stakes but they really weren't against the top competition um, within the division and although that's fair you can only beat what's put in front of you and every you know he he time and time again came back and and ran really well you know everything everything this year was was done really professionally it was you know just overall from a from a, a race standpoint looked visually impressive and i really thought coming into uh, into the bc mile that you know his pennsylvania derby was was a solid effort um coming out of the race i didn't i didn't really know what to think about the pennsylvania derby you know having someone like math wizard win that race uh, it, it was kind of confusing coming out of that race, whether, you know, uh, Mr. Money would be good enough coming forward to face a lot of grade one winners. But uh, in the end, I, I really liked him. I really thought that he could improve off the Pennsylvania Derby. And the other thing too, is he had speed. He was going to be up close. You know, he wasn't going to be on the lead, but I thought he could sit just off and, and really get a perfect trip uh, coming around the turn. You talk about the pace there. To me, it seemed like there was a lot of pace in this race. It seemed like Improbable was going to be up close. Spun to Run could also be up close. Mr. Money was forwardly placed. Omaha Beach was going to show speed. You have the old trusty Cole Front also going to show speed. Did that at all make you worried about his trip, or you thought that he could sit three or four lengths off? It seemed like the only closer in the race seemed to be the one giant expectations. 
Yeah, by far the only deep closer in the field with giant expectations and everyone else could could really kind of either stock or, or lead. I thought the only one who really needed the lead to win was improbable. But I also, I, I had reservations about improbable from that Pennsylvania Derby where he, he broke a step slow, where he had, he had shown in the past too, to break a step slow. It just so happened that he was, you know, uh, a lot bigger horse and a lot faster horse than a lot of those that he was facing. And regardless of whether he could break a step slow or not, he could always get into position right away. And I really have reservations about him being able to do that against, you know, the likes of Thunder Run and Omaha Beach, who both are, are very quick out of the gates. You know, I, my biggest question for you is with, with the uh, pomp and stance surrounding Blue Chipper, what, what, did you, what did you think of him going into the race? So it's it's really funny. Flavian Pratt ended up with 14 mounts on 14 Breeders' Cup races, which might be a first, might not. I would have to do research into that. I saw one tweet all week about Blue Chipper. It might have been Privman. It was somebody, I believe, from DRF had said, don't count this horse out because he's been working out just as well as anybody else in the track. And it seemed like Pratt was getting the live mounts. Every single horse seemed to like really have a good running chance. To try and find a spot for this horse... Like I wanted to put him into my exotics and I really ended up just uh, from a betting standpoint, I played two horses. I played blue chipper and spun to run in exactas. And I played spun to run across the board in a, in a ladder bet. What about you on your betting side? What did you end up uh, doing? So I, I played a lot of exactas and a lot of tries King, Mr. Money. Um, so I'm, Unfortunately, uh, I went down with the ship. Mr. Money, it was one of those things where I, I liked him so much to where he, all of my bets revolved around him, not only with on the win side, but as a key in, in my exotics. And I went pretty hard with him in multi-raise bets too. Um, I, I singled him on a lot of tickets. Um, I also sprinkled in Spun to Run, Omaha Beach, and Blue Chipper as well, just because of all of the uh, training word that was coming out uh, regarding him. So, so before we go into Pete giving us the race call, just some quick stuff on my point. Omaha Beach. I just think that everyone knows he's going to the Pegasus now. So the, everyone, for certain people, the Breeders' Cup is like the defining. Like this is what we're aiming for every year. I don't think that was the case with Omaha Beach, and I just thought it was. I know it was a slow-paced race, and it might not have taken him a ton out of him in that last race against Chance a lot, but I just didn't think this was the final. Like they're not gonna, not that the horse would be 80 or 90, but maybe he was 95 and would just end up getting nicked at the wire or something weird would happen. Mr. Money, if you look at the Pat Day Mile, it was a 96. He had run 100 in the Indiana Derby and a 98 in the PA Derby. I just feel like as a three-year-old, he hadn't improved, and six to one, I felt was just I needed a little bit higher to to, uh, to put some money on him. And improbable to me is the kind of the same thing with McKinsey. I've been so anti-McKinsey all year, even though he was the most consistent older horse probably. Improbable is just so inconsistent. 96, 104, 6 by 3 and a quarter, wins by 2 and 3 quarters. So it just seemed to me like if you were going to take a short price on him, it was the wrong spot to do it. Like I said, I ended up on Spun to Run. He had the highest last out buyer. He was two for two at the distance. And even with a lot of speed, I thought from the three hole, he might end up getting 
a decent spot. Anything in my analysis there that you uh, could pick out or find a chink in there, Marshall? The biggest problem that I had just singling and, and running with Spun to Run was that was the 110 buyer. You know, how how do you reconcile him jumping from a 96 to the 110 uh, from the Pennsylvania Derby? I think it was a slow pace. So for me, it, I, it was a 110, but I probably would have lowered it down to more like right around where Omaha Beach was to a low 100. But for this for this trainer, uh, Juan Carlos Guerrero, to run an enlisted stake at Parks and then bring him to the Breeders' Cup, he obviously thought he had a decent horse and someone who wins 21% on the year, you know, I'm, I'm ready to listen to. I'd also love this horse and I didn't end up betting him in the PA Derby. So I thought I don't want to look like a fool if this horse ends up, you know, crashing the board. Oh, no doubt. And, and that was kind of the hard part that I had to reconcile with was, you know, the trainer puts him in, in the Haskell, then goes to Smarty Jones then goes the Pennsylvania Derby and then decides that a listed stakes at parks was the way to go. Uh, I didn't know how to take that as far as that, Oh, you know, Oh, well, you know, we have this grade one horse, but we're just going to put him in this spot for giggles. I, I didn't, I didn't know personally how to be able to take that and really what his intent was with that race. I wasn't sure if that was, I don't have confidence. I want to see what I have or whether it's, this is a prep because I know what I have. Let's see in this race call. If Spunder run could get it home for me. They're off in the dirt mile and probably had a good beginning. And it is spun to run. Who's sent out to the early lead. Blue chippers got speed to the outside. It's these two, one, two making their way into the turn and cold front settles in behind them. Then improbable on the inside, who slips through an opening and now is three and a half lengths off the lead. Mr. Money is three wide, then Snapper Sinclair. Omaha Beach is racing about seven lengths behind as they make their way toward the backstretch. Diamond Oops is next, then Ambassadorial in Giant Expectations is the trailer. 23.05 was the opening quarter mile. Spun to run onto the backstretch in front. Korea's Blue Chipper is second, and he's a length and three quarters behind. Mr. Money and Improbable heads apart just ahead of Colfront running along in fifth. Then a break of another two to Snapper Sinclair. Omaha Beach coming from well behind today. He's about nine lengths off the lead. And now Mike Smith is starting to hand ride him a bit, trying to get him to go as they make their way into the turn. The half was 46.51. The giant expectations, Diamond Oops and Ambassadorial. Spun to run, leads them along. He's been on top every step of the way with Blue Chipper chasing him around that far turn. It's another three lengths back to Mr. Money. Omaha Beach is going to make his move on the far outside. He's floated very wide. He went four deep on the turn, but he's starting to pick it up. And they're into the stretch with Spun to Run and Cat. The one to catch coming to the eight pole. Spun to Run drifting out with the lead. Blue Chipper on the inside is second. Omaha Beach has made his way up into third. But Spun to Run has run away. Hit Rod Ortiz and Spun to Run. The real deal of the dirt mile. They won it by three and a half lengths. Omaha Beach was second. Blue Chipper was third. Snapper Sinclair was fourth. So as we heard from the great Larry Colmas, Spun to Run wins with 109. Buyer Marshall, what did... What were your conclusions coming out of this race? Well, the biggest thing is I thought that Omaha Beach lost all chances at the start after the, the stumbled start. 
Uh, I thought that, you know, the, the only choice that Mike Smith had was to have the horse sit and kind of relax and hope that the one run that he was going to make was going to be uh, good enough to be able to make the lead in the end. Uh, I saw it spun to run, broke alertly, went straight to the lead, which rumor had it that that's exactly what Mandela wanted for Omaha Beach. And spun to run got the best trip, got out to the lead and never looked back. You know, Mr. Money sat the trip, the trip that I thought he would and just wasn't good enough. They, they were, uh, Gabriel Saez was, was pumping on him midway through the turn and there was just absolutely no response whatsoever. You know, what, what What did you think about the start for Omaha Beach? I thought with all the speed in the race that maybe the bad start would end up being okay for him. And I think that it just shows how good of a horse he actually really is to come up and still get second. Obviously, Blue Chipper, the foreign uh, Korean horse, ends up running third, messing up my exacta. But looking back on it now, I am such a if I don't think Omaha Beach is going to win, why I don't just play him back and forth with Spun to Run and Exacta, I think I lost a ton of equity in this race. Mr. Money came back and ran 90 buyer. Do you think that maybe he was the camouflage horse this year where he was just beating up on you know shorter company and now they finally put him in, again, in against the Wolves and he just didn't show up with his best? I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I think that he on the day this was his ninth race, of the year. And I think ultimately in the end, it, he, you know, his form kind of tailed off after the Indiana Derby. And I think it just kept going south. I, I, I would love to see him get a break and come back next year and, and see what this uh, four-year-old golden sense can really do. Cause I think that he is very talented. Uh, it's just a matter of putting him in spots, especially if we can see him in some grade ones to see his name really uh, rise up in the classic division uh, on the male side. Improbable was three to one in the morning line. Like we had said, he ended up floating up to nine to two thoughts on this West coast runner. I thought he broke poorly. Um, It was basically a step slow again. Um, You know, Bejarano had pumped him to try to get to the lead and other horses were just much faster than him coming out of there. I wasn't a big fan of him going into the race, and I really wasn't a big fan of him coming out either. I thought it was just a, a very dull effort from him. Uh, what are your thoughts on Improbable? I thought that the 3-1 morning line was definitely short. I think it shows that when, like me and Pete have talked about in previous podcasts, the short morning line horses that float up, there was an old handicapping book, like I've said before, Morning line favorites or low morning line horses that shoot up a little bit don't end up running that well because the betters are just the betters are always going to be the right parameter for horse racing. They'll miss one like improbable. I I wouldn't say they missed him because he ended up floating up. But I think that people who were betting this horse, I would like to know what their argument was because it was probably the same type of argument that they made making him the favorite in the Derby, which still to me stuns me when I see that when I look through his PPs. I just don't. This was probably the best race for him, or he just wasn't going to run on BC weekend. I couldn't imagine that he would run in like one of the other undercard stakes, if there was even a spot for him on the undercard. I'm interested to see, because he was so, so good at two, if maybe he was just one of those flashing the pans at two, and now at three and four, he might just end up being the quote-unquote bet-against horse going forward. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree that he kind of regressed back to the mean and everyone else kind of caught up to him after two, that's for sure. What do you say, Marshall, we end up going to our next race? It was the distaff with Midnight Bisu being your morning line favorite at six to five. Some other contenders in the race. Wasn't a lot of contenders. Dunbar Road was six to one morning line, as was Blue Prize at six to one. Paradise Woods from the one hole was five to one. What were your impressions from this race? So I was against Midnight Bisu. I, especially at six to five, I, I, I don't like her. Uh, I thought Dunbar Road at six to one showed value to me. You know, that spinster, she was on the, uh, what is considered to be a dead rail that day and rode the rail the entire time. And I thought that, you know, the closing kick, was kind of dulled, and I thought that uh, she could have easily been up there towards the towards the win end coming uh, down the stretch, if if had not been on the on that bed rail. I also thought Denver Road, being a three-year-old and improving over the last three races, had more improvement coming into this race. And rumors had it that Dunbar Road was training very well too. So those were all those were all very positives for me going into the race. What did you think about Midnight Bisu coming in? I've been trying to beat this horse all year, and I know Pete and me have talked about In-N-Out horses. Uh, she had run a uh, 103, a 92, a 104, and a 91. So if you go on my old acumen, she was probably going to run somewhere in the hundreds. I just When I looked through the rest of this field, 6 to 5... I thought there were every like a 91 last out Dunbar road had run a 95 street band, the 99. I just felt that she was super vulnerable in the spot. She obviously has never missed the exact at Santa Anita six to five was short. I know that obviously she was going to be one of the top contenders. I was surprised when I saw her get bet down to even money which made me even a little bit more afraid. My top pick the entire time had been Serengeti Empress. I was just on a cold, cold steal. I know that JK was probably sweating sweating when the horse got out so good. Uh, what were your thoughts on the pace in this race? I, I really thought Serengeti Empress had one way to go, and that was to the lead. Uh, I, I thought that there was no other horse in this field that could challenge her if she really wanted the lead. I, I, I think she's shown that going into these races that if she wants the lead, she's going to get it. I mean, going two back in the test, she got the lead over Kofefi, who who's extremely fast. So I thought that Serengeti Empress had, uh, had the complete pace advantage against everyone else in the field. And I thought that made her extremely dangerous coming in. You know, she had ran on some extremely fast paces, you know, looking – what the past three races where she was just on extremely hot paces that she kind of hung around still and she was able to to make a good count for herself, but in the end gave herself kind of no chance to, to have any sort of finish toward the end. But I thought pace-wise, pace Serengeti Empress was going to be right there. You know, obviously all these candies, Secret Spice had, uh, and Mosi Cow, all three of those had some pace, but it wasn't anything near what Serengeti Empress had. What were your thoughts on the horse in the rail, Paradise Woods? For me, people are going to say that I sound like an idiot, but she just reminds me of a horse like Unique Bella in a way where I just, 
I don't ever know how good she is. She came back last time out off the layoff, won the Zenyatta at seven to two. She seemed like the female version of improbable to me. Like she just like inconsistent. She'll have a blowout race, Santa Margarita early in the year, one by ten with a hundred buyer. And then just never really got back to that race. But you knew she kind of pretty much had to go from the rail, I would have thought. Yeah, that was my thought, too, is that she she would have had to have gone from the rail to get good position. The problem is that she just wasn't, she was you know, especially looking at time farm pace figures, she wasn't anywhere near as fast as some of the others in this race. And that was going to put her at an extreme disadvantage uh, going into the turn. And Paradise Woods... It's great horse, you know. I would, I would love to own her, but in the end, I, I agree. I don't know how good she is. She's shown flashes of greatness, but at the same time, has has shown a lot of propensity to not live up to that billing. And I, I've never been one to be on her in any of her races. I know one of your top picks in this race was the number eleven Blue Prize. You want to talk about this six-year-old mare for a little bit? Yeah, I, I like Blue Prize coming into it. I thought that that Spencer was a was a fantastic race. I mean, not only from the standpoint of her coming over the top of the late and winning, but being able to fit you know mid-pack and and be able to make that one run. I mean, her her kick was deadly in the in the Spencer, and I really think that going into this race, she she was ready to go. I just didn't know how well she would would come out of that race because it looked like, you know, her coming down the stretch, I thought that she looked, I don't want to say tiring, but she wasn't finishing with alacrity uh, coming into the to the finish. So I, I didn't really know what to do with that bit of information. What were your thoughts on Blue Prize? She was the one that I was like kind of odd man out on. You know, we talk about Dunbar Road as the, only three-year-old blue. I thought the Joe Bravo, I know has not been one to do too good at Breers cups. Ignacio Correas, I don't think had any success at the Breers cup before the post position was what hurt me. I thought she'd get stuck mid pack, but knowing that like there wasn't too much speed in this race, I thought that that would be the one position where everybody would be going for. And then she gets stuck four or five wide and it turns into, you know, a la some of the races we saw on Friday where horses are just spinning their wheels like Arizona five, four wide and not being able to get the job done. The post was a problem for me. I thought that she was improving and kind of stagnant, like Mr. Money in a way, almost 90, 94, 95, 95, 97. I thought that she would have to break a hundred and this was her best race to date. And the spinster, maybe she was, you know, I didn't want to miss the wedding and then go to the funeral was more or less my, Scared tactic with that one. The five Dunbar Road for Chad Brown. Everyone had been so high on this horse. I, it's hard for me to take three-year-olds when you face such impressive older horses. I mean, we talk about Songbird versus Beholder. That's probably one of the best horse races I've ever seen. And Songbird's probably the best, one of the better three-year-olds that I've seen face elders. And even then, she still got beat. I know you had said Dunbar Road was on there. Were you more of hoping for her as a win bet or just to hit the board type? Uh, she was a key in, in all of my wagers. Uh, I, I thought that she could improve off that 95 buyer, especially getting off of a, a track that, uh, you know, she sat on that dead rail. I thought that she can improve dramatically off that. And being able to have a, 
a, a kick coming down the lane that, that rivals those LV late and, uh, and number 11 blue prize. I thought that that would put it right, right in the mix when it came down uh, to the finish. And I thought, you know, it, it's, it's Chad Brown. He's going to have a ready. And, you know, he had been aiming pretty high since she broke her maiden with this horse and has, you know, he's never been able to find a spot that really suited her uh, other than the Alabama. And so, you know, it was, it was nice to see her do well against elders for the first time in the spinster. And I thought that she could have another, another step up in the distaff. So Marshall, I know you talked about Dunbar road being a big part of your wagering. What was your overall wagering for this race? Was it mostly wind bats exact as tries or did you do something horizontal as well? Uh, so I definitely had a lot of uh, exactas and tries keyed on Dunbar Road. Uh, again, she wasn't going to be the favorite, and I thought she had a really good chance to win. So all all of my wagers kind of went through her. I had Dunbar Road, Serengeti Empress, and Blue Prize in any of my multis. Again, I, I was very against Midnight Beast who coming into the race, and I thought that Serengeti Empress with the pace advantage and blue prize with that closing kick. I thought I, I could kind of mix up the running styles to be able to uh, get through the, the distance side. Let's head on to the racetrack and see if Midnight Bisu can keep her streak going for possible horse of the year. They're off in the Longines Breeders' Cup distance. Mosey Cal and Serengeti Empress are sent down to the front, and they're moving right along, opening up on their competition early. Ollie's Candy will sit back and run in third. Eminent Street Band in fourth, followed by Paradise Woods and Secret Spice to the outside. Mike Smith has Midnight Bizu down on the rail, saving all the ground into that turn, and she's five lengths behind. Then La Force. Dunbar Road is eight lengths off the lead. Blue Prize next to her. And the early trailer is Wildcat. It's Serengeti Empress, the Kentucky Oaks winner out there in front. With Paradise Woods and Mosey Cal pressing the pace to a 22.98 opening quarter mile. The pace is very fast. And then it's Ollie's Candy fourth on the outside. Street Band is fifth. She's four and a half lengths off the lead. After that, Secret Spice. Midnight Bizu continues to ride the rail up the backstretch. She is six lengths behind at this stage of the race, and Blue Prize keeps her pinned in. Then Dunbar Road, La Force, and Wildcat is last. 46.68 was the half mile. Serengeti Empress begins her run into the far turn. Ollie's Candy storms into second on the outside of Bo C. Cow. In the meanwhile, Midnight Bizu is still seven lengths behind. Mike Smith is starting to motivate her. He's going to take her four wide on the turn. She's got her work cut out for her, but she's gaining. Serengeti Empress, the leader. Ollie's Candy a length and a half behind. Blue Prize is coming three wide. Mosey Cal cuts the corner. Midnight Bizu, fifth at the top of the stretch. And here she comes on the far outside. Serengeti Empress to the eighth pole. Blue Prize, here's Midnight Bizu. Blue Prize strikes the front. Midnight Bizu is closing on the outside. Blue Prize has it though, close to home. And it's going to be Blue Prize and John Bravo to win the Breeders' Cup Distaff. Upsetting Midnight Bizu today. Sharon getting it first one third. Ollie's candy for. Blue Prize upsets Midnight Bisu in the Distaff. Blue Prize comes back with 103 buyer. Marshall, a little pat in the back for you, I'm sure. What were your thoughts on the race? I really thought that Serengeti Empress was extremely impressive in defeat 
setting a pace that was as fast as it was and still being able to stick in there as long as she did was impressive. I love Serengeti Empress coming out of the race. Uh, Blue Prize, uh, impressive, impressive victor. I thought that Blue Prize really showed the lack of a speed bias when it came to the racetrack. Uh, I heard a lot of people and saw on Twitter a lot of people that were saying that there's a, a speed bias going on, and I, I really didn't believe it in, in talking with a couple people as well that I really didn't think that there was a speed bias going on either. And so, you know, Blue Prize coming out and being, you know, uh, almost dead or was dead last um, out of the start was was impressive to see that, that turn of foot really kick in. I think it's interesting with Serengeti Empress. I'm sure JK was shaking in his boots there at the top of the stretch. Midnight Bisu, another good performance, came back. She she rebounced or re reacclimated herself back with a 101 and just a really, really game effort from Blue Prize. Just gets her beat on the square. Dunbar Road, I thought maybe just not good enough. Small little bounce from a 96 to a 93. Paradise Woods all the way at the bottom, 61. Thoughts on any of the other contenders for the distaff? Yeah, I just think that Dunbar Road just wasn't good enough. She wasn't uh, near the class of Midnight Bees, who Serengeti Empress or Blue Prize. You know, and going in, it, it kind of looked like she could possibly contend with them. Uh, but coming out of the race, she really didn't look comfortable at all. And she was a, a no factor uh, during the entire race. So I, I wasn't I wasn't very high on Dunbar Road coming out of it. What did you think of her uh, trip? Came in fifth. I thought the trip was okay. I didn't really see an excuse. I think that she will be very interesting for Chad next year. I'm, I haven't heard anything about her going off to the Broodmare Band or anything like that or being in the sale. So I'm excited to see what she can do next year. Serengeti Empress, I had her on a ladder bet, so I made okay on this race. I'm upset that I let a post position rule me off a of blue prize because she went off at such a high odds too. The final odds, when you look at it, there was only two horses under 10 to 1. It was Midnight Beast with all the money, even money, and Dunbar Road running the even fifth. So I'm really disappointed that I couldn't somehow get a trifecta out of this or really get these horses figured out. How'd you end up on doing with your bets in this race, Marshall? Uh, I was very happy how the result came out. Uh, I, I was, I did very well coming out. I was, I was very happy. What did you think about Serengeti Empress actually taking money from her morning line? She, she finished out at 10 to one. Her morning line was 12 to one. Did you think that there was any signal there? hundred percent. This is I, I'm one thing from watching a lot of races at Saratoga and that I picked up on Horses that are those mid 10, 12 to 1, 15 to 1s that drop into like that 7 to 1 to 11 to 1 range. David Donk had three or four horses on the turf at Saratoga that I made off like a bandit with that just everyone thinks that they, if they're like not under six, five to one, they're not really taking money. These horses, I mean, Flavian Pratt, like I said, every single meet or every single mount he had this weekend seemed to be live. And this is another one, you know. I don't think, from what I can see in the PPs, that he's ever been on Serengeti Empress. Uh, I rat off him on. It's not an upgrade. It's probably about even, but just, I mean, absolutely rode a fantastic race. 
I wish that she could have gotten second. Minai Bisu a little bit too powerful, but I mean the 96, it's pretty much what she runs. She's in that mid little tier of, you know, 98, 96, 95. I was really, really impressed. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. She was very impressive and, and ran to her strengths. Flavian Pratt got her out of the gate and went straight to lead. And if she can get a clear lead, that's when she is dangerous in every race that she's in. She gets a clear lead, it gives her the best chance to win. I don't think that there is too much left on this bone, Marshall. What do you say we get on to the race of races for the weekend, the Breeders' Cup Classic? Grade one, mile and a quarter on the main track. McKenzie was the three to one favorite. Vino Rosso, four to one. Code of Honor, the upstart three year old at four to one. Higher Power, who won some big races out in the West Coast this this past year at six to one. Elite, six to one. Yoshida, eight to one. Those were your contenders for this race. What were your opinions going into the classic? You know, looking at speed figures wise, McKenzie kind of had an advantage when it came to it. You know, the only other horse in the field that had uh, a buyer coming into the field already into the race that was around 108 was Mongolian Groom who had beat him just the race before. So I thought that, you know, going into the race, McKenzie had an advantage. You know, not only that, but being that he had tactical speed, he could sit off the leaders and make one run. Yeah, I thought that he had a, a tactical advantage as well when it came to the race. I didn't know what to do with higher power. I thought a specific class was great with that third and seven buyer. But in the end, you know, com- him coming back in the awesome again and kind of being a little flat, you know, having to close in to, you know, what would be considered to be a, a moderate pace and just really couldn't get the job done against Mongolian Groom or McKenzie. So, I really didn't know what to do with, with higher power. I really liked Vino Ross coming into the race. I thought his Jockey Club Gold Cup was a great race. You know, him being able to get out to the lead and just go. I thought that was fantastic. He did set decent fractions. And uh, the the thing about uh, the time form pace figures, you know, kind of put him in that middle range. So I thought that he could, you know, get a stocking trip uh, behind the the eventual pace setters. So I, I those were those were the ones that that I really liked. Code of Honor was coming into the race great. You know, he he finished a, a scant nose behind Vino Rosso going into the Giant Club Gold Cup, but was placed first through the DQ. And I thought that as far as a three year old concerned, there wasn't a three year old that had been more impressive going along in the dirt, you know, and he had been really improving uh, throughout the second half of the year. What were your thoughts on, on Code of Honor and, and how he was going to be able to handle not only the Santa Anita track, but handle someone like McKenzie? I remember watching the draw and I saw Vino draw the 10 and Code of Honor draw the 11. And I was like thinking to myself, at least we're not like, like we're the two farthest out pass. So it can't get much worse than that. The code of honor to me had run the big one Oh five, one Oh six back. Sugar is really good with these types. I was against just for the fact that now they're shipping across the country. And I just didn't know how he would handle the ship. And I was also a little bit nervous 
uh, about the bounce factor. You know, 97 to a 105 is a pretty big jump, and then he just improved to the 106 in a tough race. Like when you're when you're nose and heads from from different horses, like it's the same thing if you're racing at a track meet. They're very tough races to, to have happen. I was very very high on Vino. I just he'd been my horse since the Woodward that was going to win. I love the fact that they got him out there early in in May at the Gold Cup. He won the race by three quarters of a length over Gift Box. He had continued with two really good hundred buyers after that. The Whitney may have not been his best race. He lost to McKinsey and Yoshida, but came right back with the Jockey Club Gold Cup. I, I read, I think, fits that horse perfect to a T. Mongolian Groom has been the overachiever of the year for me. I love that horse. Everyone knows how I feel about McKenzie. Elate Yoshida were the two that were on the outside looking in. I thought Elate was at the right distance. I thought this was the year for a mare to uh, try the classic and try and, you know, hit the number. Yoshida, I just didn't really know what to do with. What were your thoughts on Yoshida going into the race? You know, there was, a, there was a lot of smart people out there that, that really did like Yoshida going into the race. I, too, didn't know what to think. I thought that overall, I thought his turf form was, was better than his dirt form, even though he's a grade one winner on both services. But I was worried about the, the fact that he's, he's going to drop back and make one run. And the pace situation in this race was kind of murky. I thought War of Will was going to go out to the lead and Vino Rosso would, would just kind of stalk and sit off. And, you know, Mongolian Groom had speed, so I, I thought that any one of those three could could kind of hook up. And I was I was worried about someone from Yosh, like Yoshida with that close, deep closer mentality to be able to get by in the end. You know, I, I thought that Yoshida could clump up and, and maybe get, you know, third or fourth. But going into the race, I, I wasn't very high on Yoshida, even though there was a lot of people that were. And Elate, too, I thought the distance was great. It's exactly what she wants. But in the end, speed figure-wise, you know, coming out of that spinster, I had a hard time taking her because a 96 speed figure in the spinster which was fine for that race but she was outside the entire time uh in a time where you wanted to be on the outside so ultimately i thought that the 96 was was uh, almost inflated a little bit with her coming into the race and she would need to run her top top figure to be able to contend with the likes of mckenzie and code of honor I 100% agree with you. Elite for me was one that I thought could hit third or fourth, but was not really – she would really have to improve to hit the exact. Uh, what was your wagering going into the race? What were your final wagers? So I had a lot of, a lot of money on Dino Rosso to win. Um, I did play some exotics. The unfortunate part is uh, uh, my exotics didn't include higher power in third. And uh, – uh, I, I really wanted Elate to get into third, uh, ultimately. So I, I keyed a lot of exotics around Elate being in third. I ended up making probably the biggest win bet of the year for me, Vino Rosso. I kind of wanted to put my money where my mouth was. Let's see if we can get Elate into the board, and let's see if my biggest win bet paid off for me. 
here in the Classic. They're off in the Breeders' Cup Classic. It was a good start for McKinsey, and War of Will goes up to the early lead. Seeking the soul is close up on the inside. And now he's going to take back, and McKinsey and Mongolian Groomer going up, and Vino Rosso is on the far outside. They're followed by Owendale and Elate. Farther out, it is higher power than a break of another four back to Code of Honor on the outside of Yoshida. Math Wizard is the trailer. So the opening quarter mile was 23.09 seconds, and they make their way into the clubhouse turn with the Preakness winner in front. War of Will has opened up a two and a half length early lead with McKinsey and Mongolian Groom heads apart second and third, and they're getting closer now, and McKinsey is sent through an opening on the inside. Oh, he's not gonna get through there, and he had to take up as they head to the back stretch. Vino Rosso is fourth on the outside, and then it's Owendale in fifth. The half mile was 47.16 seconds. It's a reasonable pace onto the back stretch. Then it's higher power, seeking the soul. Code of Honor is alongside of Elaine, and they're 10 lengths behind right now. Then Yoshida and Math Wizard is the trailer as they head up the back stretch at Santa Anita in the Breeders' Cup Classic. With War of Will the leader, on top by a length and a half. And then it's McKinsey on the inside. Alongside of Mongolian Groom, and McKinsey's gonna come after War of Will now. He's got his run, and McKinsey has taken the lead. McKinsey takes over, Mongolian Groom goes with him. War of Will is faded to third. Vino Rosso begins to rev it up from fourth on the outside, and he's storming toward the front runners now. Code of Honor is next, and higher power is closing on the outside. They're coming to the top of the stretch, and it is McKinsey off the turn in front. Vino Rosso comes up to him as they arrive at the eighth pole. McKinsey digs down. Vino Rosso alongside. These two at the 16th pole. Vino Rosso has taken the lead. And it's a vintage performance by Vino Rosso in the Breeders' Cup Classic. McKinsey was second, higher power was third, and Elite was fourth. It was Vino Rosso and Errata Ortiz. Vino Rosso, wish I could roll my R's, gets it done in the Breeders' Cup Classic, 111 buyer. I'm sure, Marshall, me and you were extremely happy with this effort. What were your thoughts on Vino Rosso? I thought Vino Rosso was very impressive. You know, he he motored down the lane. He was able to to get by McKenzie without too much of an issue. And I, I really liked the, the trip that he got, too. I thought that him sitting kind of mid-pack and, and being able to make his one run was exactly what he needed uh, to be able to get the win. So I was very impressed. Uh, how about you? For, for me, it was definitely ecstasy seeing him go by McKenzie after all these times. People are telling me McKenzie's going to win the Classic, and I'm like, I think it's another horse. And for me to have picked the horse all the way out at Woodward, it was a nice, nice little, you know, spot on top of the tree, spot in the birthday cake that just, like, allowed. And it was a good price, too. Paid $10. Can't really be messing with that. What were your thoughts on the three-year-olds in the race? You know, I thought Code of Honor was just okay. Um, it looked like his, his his usual late kick was just dulled by by the track. I'm, I'm not really sure what to, what to make of him. Obviously, moving forward, I mean, Code of Honor is going to be a force to be reckoned with, I would think, as a four-year-old if he's anything like like his dad. So uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, Owendale, I thought, was very flat. 
You know, I was expecting him to kind of make his one run as he normally does, and there was just no no move from him whatsoever. I uh, so I kind of left the race wanting more from them. How about how about you? I thought it was hysterical. Jason Blewett on Twitter goes, "It's crazy that out of all the three-year-olds, Math Wizard finished the best in fifth out of all the three-year-olds. Everyone who said like, oh, a random horse like this one in the PA Derby, well." He ran fifth in the classic, guys. So it wasn't like at thirty-nine to one, like he was forgotten about, and he ran very, very well. You know, to be honest, I forgot that Math Wizard was a three-year-old, and and for that, you know, it, it, it's interesting that he, you know, he's been this kind of middling, you know, Mister Money style horse where he he faced a lot of the lessers, and and quite frankly, he's improved throughout the year, and especially for him to be dead last, you know, coming into the, into the straight and he was able to close for fifth. I mean, really shows the, <laughs> the training job that uh, Safi Joseph has, has done with, with this horse. I, th- I think that it would be interesting if they strike while the iron is hot. I don't really know what else is left for three-year-olds this year, except for maybe like the Malibu. And I don't know how good he would be shortening up. But I feel like they should strike while the iron is hot and try, try not to lay this horse off because he's got the wind by a neck and he's got a really nice fifth in the classic, which I think everyone will just look at. I mean, he got a 91 buyer, so he backtracked about eight points. But still a low 90 with this class. I mean, we saw how bad the juvenile was on Friday with with that craziness that happened. I mean, it's just going to end up being where, like, I think it's going to be the four-year-old's and the three-year-olds are going to be the same. It's going to be what people are going to say, quote-unquote, weak divisions, and there's a lot of money to be made in these types of divisions next year. Yeah, absolutely. I guess my biggest question to you is, what do you make of War of Will? You know, he, he had that Kentucky Derby where he had the, the the trouble and then goes in and wins the Preakness, and then after that he's been kind of, kind of flat. You know, his, his PA Derby was fine but I felt that he kind of just hung on more than he, you know, really uh, grabbed third. What What are your thoughts on War of Will moving forward? I thought the Belmont was too far for him. He had so many problems getting into the Derby. He had the bad Louisiana race. He had another hiccup somewhere along the line. All the crap that happened to him in the Derby, quote unquote, won't really talk about. The Preakness was like, that was his big race of the year. And if you look at it, it's a 99 buyer. It was his best race of the year. Came back in the gym dandy. He was on the rail the entire race around because that's all me and the guys in the bet squad were yelling was get him off the rail, get him off the rail. This horse was my horse in the derby. This horse was my horse in the Preakness. I think that he'll come back next year. I definitely think that he needs some time off. I think time off will do this horse good, and I think that he will be a very, very good older horse next year. What were your thoughts on a late finished fourth? Kind of ran the same buyer back as the last race with a 97 they took a shot with a female versus the boys. I think if there was a time to do it, uh, it would have been none. Um, I don't think that the mile and and eighth for the distaff would have suited her, especially um, given the pace uh, situation that, you know, uh, I thought was going to uh, develop, but really didn't. Um, And I think overall a mile and a quarter is exactly what Elaid wants. And I think she showed it against the boys. You know, when when you're able to uh, to close for for a nice fourth in the classic, I mean that's that's a that's a great finish. 
for uh, a horse that I think a lot of people never gave her a shot with that, with this race. So I, I thought she got the trip that she wanted. She was outside. She closed fast. I mean, coming into the stretch, she was seventh and was able to close to finish fourth. So I'm, I, I thought she finished where I thought she would. I thought she would clunk up for probably a third or a fourth because I knew that the distance wasn't going to be an issue for her. Whereas I had that, that question for a lot of other horses in this race. Would you, would you have liked to seen a different trip for you late? I think she finished right dad where she was supposed to. I think this was the right year for the males to be challenged. I think that with a horse like that, who loves the distance, Vino obviously improved, ran the best buyer. McKinsey ran his normal mid buyer. Higher power came back to run a hundred buyer for the second time in his career. And she ran right there. She ran 97. She spread out from math wizard who ran a 91. So it was like four or five length difference. I think when you look at it, if you look at all the other horses, Yoshida didn't run that well. And Code of Honor didn't run that well. And those are really the two that probably might have also beaten a late. But I think a fourth-place finish like is a perfect spot for her. I think it makes sense. I think if Vino doesn't run so big, it probably makes it look a little bit different. But, I mean, just great race all around. Very, um, very interesting race. I obviously, at the top of the show, had some stuff to say about Mongolian Groom. And we will leave it at that for this. Anything else in this race for you, Marshall, before we head out of here? The one horse that I I, I kind of struck out on was Higher Power. You know, I, I thought he was good, but um, but I didn't think that he would finish in third. And I think ultimately that's what, uh, that's what came up to bite a lot of my bets that I had. And, you know, the, the Flavian Pratt effect, in Santa Anita, definitely, definitely was uh, was on display. I think for the for the BC races, he finished one win, four seconds, four thirds, so nine for fourteen in the biggest races of our of our years. Pretty pretty darn good. I read Ortiz, I believe, had four winners on the on the week, so that was that was the best for the jockeys. Yeah, and you know he read. You know, he, he rode well at the beginning of the year and he kind of tailed off in the middle. And then especially towards the fall, I felt like he was uh, not necessarily making poor decisions, but he was making interesting decisions and certainly wasn't getting the the wins that he was early in the year. So to see him come back with a vengeance and be able to, to uh, get the four wins in Breeders' Cup races was, was good to see. I 100% agree. Anything else, Marshall, before we let you go? Or are you all all set and ready to go. No, that should do it. I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I wanted to say good luck to you this weekend in the head-to-head championship. You will check those out on the dailygallop.net Twitter page. We will have updated tables and everything. I wanted to thank my special guest, Marshall Sterling, for coming on. Thank you so much, Marshall. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And the In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. <laughs>